On today's podcast, your hosts, TC and Chris Nicole, tackle round two of their Q&A random questions. All right, guys, we got such good feedback from the first part of our random questions. Uh, we felt very missed by everyone tagging us and messaging us. So thanks to our loyal listeners. So we're going to bring you some more. Give them what the people want. Give the people what they want. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Uh, okay, so we talked a lot. Wait, do you want to say anything before I start just jumping in these questions? No, I don't think so. Okay. Let's dive in. Head All first. Right. Deep end. Okay, well, we talked a lot about um, training. So I guess we, there is a couple more things I'm sure that you probably want to elaborate on. So we can just kind of go through some more training questions. Well, any of our listeners know that I can ramble a lot. So if you've listened to part one and you were loving the training questions, you're on your way to the gym. Here's some more. Yeah. Uh, Okay, well. We touched a little bit on, I explained about compound lifts being helpful for me to seeing differences between right and left, you know, imbalances, issues to fix. Um, so do you want to talk a little bit about activation and imbalances from right to left? Um, you specifically mentioned when we were preparing for this about one of our clients and her kickbacks. Oh, sure. Um... So the question is, how do you correct imbalances from right to left? That's the question. Okay. Um, I think the first step to correcting an imbalance, just like anything else, just like any other problem, is um, identifying the, where the problem is in your kinetic chain. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like, let's say, for example, you have left knee pain. It's likely not like when you're exercising, okay, not just chronic, my knee hurts all the time. We're talking about like I went into squats, my left knee starts to bother me after two sets. Um, Generally speaking, the issue is not with that joint, right? It's going to either be upstream or downstream. It could be ankle immobility. It could be hip issues. It could be, you know, glute strength imbalances. It could be quad strength imbalances. It could be a lot of different things, but it's generally not going to be the infrastructure of your knee. Um, So... If you take that piece of information and extrapolate it to, you know, I know that my left glute is weaker than my right glute. Are you talking about me now? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Honestly, it's me, you, and Brett. If we think about, you know, testing with the the hip thrust, you know, gauges. Yeah. Um, Which, a little background there, I made some height gauges for uh, the hip thrust, the barbell, and all three of us, when we locked out, and the right side was higher, and I was like, "Man, these gauges, man! I thought they were the they were the same height." So if you're doing of a bar- they were. <laughs> yeah, if you're doing that's funny because we were doing a barbell hip thrust, mm-hmm. and we wanted to be able to measure lockout at the top. So there's a like arm. If you're on YouTube, it looks like this. It's like 90 degree angle piece of PVC pipe, essentially. Yeah. That I made it. So it was am I doing a good example? It was adjustable. Yeah, walk like an Egyptian. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there's one on the floor on the right side, one on the floor on the left side. So we went to Brett's gym and we we're testing this out. And yeah, Brett was hitting the right side. All of us. Yeah, it was you first, right? Oh, me first. Yeah. Because yeah. he was off being Brett. Oh, yeah. He was doing all the things. Yeah, exactly. Like he's like superhuman. Like 
Um, yes. Okay. So the right arm was hitting and the left arm was not at the top of the hip thrust. And I asked TC to switch the arms because I thought that he had made them <laughs> the wrong height. I'm like, babe, definitely just switch the arms. I think that we have the wrong height on the on the wrong side. Or they're not even. We like put them next to each other. They looked even, but I was still unconvinced. So we switched the arms and sure enough, it was the same thing. But I wasn't the only one. Mm-hmm. So there's, it's been interesting to kind of like break down the exercises and look at, and this is another great example of an imbalance where you, you're going to favor one side over the other. Yeah. Yeah. And and so what I've noticed is like, we all felt like we were locking out ev- evenly mm-hmm. with both sides, right? Yeah. But when you bias one side over the other side, your neuromuscular pathway is just stronger. So sending the same signal to each side, like if you... If you send the same exact signal to each side, the one that's already stronger in the neuromuscular pathway that's already, that's more developed is going to have a stronger activation pattern than the side that's less developed. Um, so it forced us to like, you know, you get to lock out and you, and then for me, at least I thought about squeezing my left side even more to finish that lockout and get that bar nice and even. Um, so yeah. So anyway, you're, your glute imbalance is generally not a single faceted issue um, or any imbalance for that matter. Lat, bicep, tricep, chest, it doesn't, legs, it, it doesn't matter. It's generally not, multi, it's not single faceted. Um, the first thing I look at is bracing pattern because very often you'll see compensation issues arise through their core, their torso, where you try to recruit more or different musculature on one side versus the other side. And it's evidenced. Um, and just like you mentioned, we had one client who was having, struggling with kickbacks and I can't feel it on my left side. She sent me videos. Her right side, her torso was super stable. Her spine was super stiff. Uh, on, the, on the left side, she, you could tell it was like it was, there was a big compensation pattern when she was doing that kickback. Her back would arch. Uh, to the side. And, and yes, an anterior pelvic tilt, but it was also arching to the left side as well. So when you start to see these issues and then you start to say, okay, well, instead of just trying to squeeze my glute harder, I'm going to see where else I can get performance improvements. And you start to look at your entire kinetic chain as a unit, as one singular unit, especially for, even for isolation exercises. Cause like we said, it was a kickback. Yeah. Um, you, you start to see where these opportunities for improvement are. And then instead of just me telling her, well, I want you to, you know, do double the reps on your left side. That's not going to help anything if right. you're just perpetuating an improper movement Correct. pattern, you know? Yes. So we have to start by lightening the load a little bit so that you can get control of those muscles that aren't necessarily working properly yet. Um, and then you paying that neuromuscular pathway time and time and time again at that lighter weight with maximum effort, right? Because we, just like we coach and everything else, it's a maximum effort mentality. You have to still try as hard as you can, even if you're only doing 10 pounds on a kickback, whereas you, you normally think that you, you do 20, mm-hmm. you know? So now what this is going to do is it's going to allow you, it's going to allow those weaker muscles to start to be incorporated because you're not trying to bypass them because they're too weak. 
Sure. And then you can start building that proper movement pattern. And then your progress is going to be much more linear because you're performing that rep the same exact way every single time. And that joint is now securely anchored in the position that's most efficient for it to be working in. Sure. So, yeah. So for, for imbalances, um, left to right, top to bottom, it, it really doesn't matter what your imbalance is. Get video footage of you performing exercises, especially the ones that you feel that imbalance in, but really any working set, you're going to be able to see things that you, you won't see. Like you probably won't see this core compensation pattern. Like we were talking about with that client, you probably won't see that in a squat. So only recording your working sets in your squats, even though you feel that your right side is working a lot harder, you might not be able to see exactly what's happening. Right. So recording more working sets throughout your session is going to be more beneficial for you and recording more working sets at different angles. It's going to show you, you know, how, how you're moving and it's going to show you where your power leakage points are. Yeah. Um, which is, that's a good point of like, um, visual being able mm -hmm. to see like, what cues can you get? What do you feel? What do you see? Like using your senses to kind of unlock what the issues are and how unilateral work helps compound work and compound work can help, you know, discover problems within, mm -hmm. you know, unilateral or, you know, right to left. Yeah. So it's being like smart about your, your training. Yes. And you have to like, look, when you're prepping, when you're four weeks out, you're probably not going to have the mental capacity no. to think about these things. <laughs> no. But you still want to try. You want to sure. start developing that mentality where you're always thinking about how you can be moving better. Because, um, you know, one of our favorite sayings, well, at least one of mine anyways, there's always more. Uh, so, you know, just remember that and go into the gym with that mentality. And, and you're you're never going to stop improving. You know, I made the, the most, hands down, the most progress in my powerlifting training. When I started to, yes, I was watching what the elite level lifters were doing and I was trying to emulate that in my own lifting. But once I took these like core principles of obviously like a stable spine, you know, a, a tucked chin, you know, it activated erectors, externally rotated femurs, like all these little things that you can incorporate. Um, no, my squat is not going to look exactly the same as, you know, Russell Orihis or Ray Williams, you know, it's not going to look like either one of those two people because sure. I have completely different leverages, but right. there, are, there are certain things that you can take with you. Now, once I started recording my working sets, thinking about what it felt like, watching what it looked like, and then trying to take that into my next set, that is when I made the absolute most progress in my uh, strength training journey, for sure. Do you find that there's um, common like activation imbalances between like just people you've worked with or a specific population of athlete. Is there yeah. stuff that you see like repeatedly? Definitely. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, I think sometimes it can start with just like being a righty or lefty, but it can also be perpetuated with like you were a pitcher in softball, you mm -hmm. know, so your right side is going to be a lot tighter. Um, and I think, depending on what you do on a regular basis like for me i drove a lot through my injury and that produced a lot of compensation patterns that we're now having to deal with and work through um but a lot of other people may drive a lot or maybe they work over their head a lot so now they're really trap dominant because they're used to having their shoulders shrugged um there's 
They would sit at a desk a lot. Yep, they sit at a desk a lot. They have forward shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, they have rounded shoulder, you know, and forward head posture. They paint, but a painter is generally going to use their strong arm. So now the musculature in that side is all going to be stronger. And yeah, your left arm, even if you're carrying a, you know, a gallon pail, let's say, and you're, and you're cutting stuff in, you're, you're still altered, right? And you're going to take that loading pattern into the gym with you, uh, unfortunately. So that's why like when it is really frustrating to change compensation patterns that you have developed over years and years and decades of your life. It's tough. So you're never going to be perfect and completely yes. balanced from right Correct. to left. So you have to be okay with that. Mm-hmm. That's one thing I think that. Yes, you. It's 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 a double edged sword. You have to understand that perfection is an endless pursuit. You're mm-hmm. never going to reach absolute perfection. It's like that's like winning the Olympia and saying, "Well, I'm here. I made it." Well, okay, but what's what's next? You know, right. like the the uh, the epitome, the the top, the perf- perfect form is. You're just not going to be able to get there because, again, like we just said, there's always more. Right. So just like I said, you go into the gym every time with how can I do this better? And if it feels good, hey, just ride it out and get that pump, you know, like feel it. If it feels good, maybe don't change anything. Record yourself and make sure that everything's moving properly, you know, and send that video into your coach. And then maybe their more experienced eye might catch something that you didn't. And that's okay. That's okay, too. Just because they catch something that you can do better doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. Well, and I think it's good to not just think about the one muscle group. Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, well, my, for example, left glute is weaker, so I just need to think about my left glute. Yes, that's true. Um, but you talked about up and down the kinetic mm-hmm. chain. I, I don't yeah. know. Like your core, what's happening with your core? You talk about, like, you have talked about your feet, like what's happening with your feet or your knee or a previous injury or all those things, like a comprehensive look at those imbalances, I think is the quickest way. But the easiest way to get started, I think you give the advice of recording yourself to start analyzing. Yeah. And then, and it's, it's going to be like a multi-layered approach too, because when I first started trying to grow my chest, I did, I worked differently than I do right now because it's, you know, you get one factor you solidify it and then you add a layer to that and then you solidify it and then you add a layer to that. So right now what I've been trying to do is push my lumbar spine back and activate my lower lats while I'm doing anything chest related. Um, I used to have my upper lats just fine and my lats, my upper lats were engaged when I was doing pec work, but I realized that my, my pec development was not completely even and I was still getting some shoulder pain. So I reevaluated, I looked and I, it looked like I was still using some anterior delt. I was still using some levator when the weight got heavy. So we took the weight back down and we started to rebuild again. So no, I'm not saying that everyone has to train like me. Okay. Like I'm, I, Ugh, I can, I, can't. <laughs> I can be pretty neurotic. Um, it just takes a special person. Yeah. But that's the thing. Like, let, let me do the work, right? Just send your videos in and, and eventually yes. you'll, you'll develop the eye for movement as well. Yeah. Uh, because when I critique, I go through and I show you exactly what I'm looking at. I show you, I tell you where I think it's coming from. And then I tell you what we're going to do to fix that. So I try to give you that all encompassing response so that 
you can then take that information to the gym. And then when you're watching your videos of that same exercise or even different exercises, you say, okay, this is what TC was looking at. Uh, this is what was going wrong. I freaking nailed it on this set. Let me see if I can really solidify that today. I think it is very helpful to have you as a resource because it, it, it takes so much mental work to start uncovering like what is happening in my body. And you already have developed fairly good uh, awareness and you advance very quickly, I think, when you start concentrating on a certain thing. And so, yeah, you're a great resource to our athletes um, like you and for me as well like i st i hear what you say i may not absorb 100 percent of the things okay clients i'm in this too um but i do get takeaway things and it does build upon mm -hmm. each other because then i come i'm finding yeah. that i'm coming back to you and be like oh remember when you said this like i started making that connection or i started feeling what i needed to be doing with this side of my body and so i think it is a part of like bodybuilding specifically that is not like explored i feel like there's a, uh, a missing link there's like nutrition and conditioning and posing and hypertrophy training but like the balance from right to left or the activation or the mobility is a like a important component that i don't think is um emphasized enough i think people think it's it takes tedious. away from their goals yeah and you it know? takes energy it's yeah. tedious they think, well, I need to grow my glutes. I don't have time to think about my core. Stop quoting me. <laughs> <laughs> no, that wasn't you, baby. That's someone else. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't have time for this. But yeah, since I'm not like trying to get to the Olympia stage and I've already achieved some things in powerlifting, yes, I will be back on the platform for mm -hmm. everyone out there listening. Like it will happen. TC will come back and we will lift some heavy ass weight. Okay. Um, but I don't necessarily have that fire under my ass that it needs to happen right this second. Um, I've given myself until at, at least another two, three years before I even have to step back on the platform or the stage. And because I've allowed myself that mental space, I can afford to go into the gym and feel stuff out. And then what ends up happening is I start feeling stuff out in the beginning, but then everything locks into place. And then the pump is just, I mean, you see me walking around the gym. Like Ugh. I just feel freaking enormous. He's a freak. But it's because I'm I'm getting like complete activation of this muscle group. Whatever muscle group I'm attacking that day, like it's getting completely activated. It's getting completely engorged with blood and we're working it, okay? Um, so it, it's like, again, a double-edged sword because I don't want to tell everyone to go into the gym and like not work hard and like, you know, take your time and just feel it out and listen to your body. Now, yes, I do want you to do all of those things, but you also have to train like an animal and there has to be maximum effort intensity. Um, it may not be in between each of the sets, but like after the first rep, it's all in. There's, mm -hmm. there's, you're not thinking about anything else other than what you're feeling, what you're doing, uh, moving that weight and working as hard as you possibly can. And for me, probably... When I first start working out, probably 75% of my focus goes towards my positioning and the 25% is like actually trying to move the weight. And then as I move up in weight, you know, obviously those percentages change, but um, I, I always have a relatively high percentage focus on my positioning because as a power lifter, you can't afford to isolate muscle groups without thinking about your positioning because then you take it back to 
let's say I'm doing lat pull downs and getting great lat activation, but I'm I have this an, huge anterior pelvic tilt, my core is not engaged. What's going to happen when you go try to do deadlifts? Your lumbar spine is going to be hyperactivated. Your lats are going to be hyperactivated. And your core is not going to activate at all. You're going to hurt yourself. Um, so you, you have to have like this all-encompassing approach when you're when you're kind of trained like a hybrid athlete like that. But kind of went off topic there. I did give the disclaimer in the beginning of this podcast that I rant and ramble. So. <laughs> well, we're talking about injury. Yeah. Um, well, you briefly touched on the potential of injury. Um, we have seen, uh, well, we had um, a client that was talking about knee pain. Uh, as a bikini athlete, you're talking about knee pain. I I've heard this a couple of times. Do you have any advice for someone struggling with knee issues? Um, you can talk specifically about the situation if that helps make it more clear for our listeners. Okay, well, in this specific situation, I think she said that she went out for a jog and her left knee started bothering her. Um, in my experience, okay, obviously knee pain can come from a, a few different areas. Right. If you're a bikini competitor and you, and you train your glutes more than anything else in your entire body, you're probably going to start biasing towards hip extension when you're doing like squats and like press and lunges and stuff like that, right? So right. your your knee extension is, is going to be a weaker attribute. Um, I think that that can, it can definitely cause problems because it alters the length tension relationship of certain muscles across these joints. And like your knee is a hinge joint. It only does one thing, right? It flexes and extends. That's it. So it's pretty basic. So if you're having knee pain, it's generally speaking because you have something that's tight or not functioning properly. Um, so I think that a lot of bikini competitors, a train their glutes a lot, B don't train their quads and hamstrings that much. And if they do, they, they don't necessarily spend a lot of time stretching them. Um, and C when they do cardio and a lot of times they can get up to at least like, you know, two 60 minute sessions a day, Right. they do it on an incline. Mm hmm. And now if you're biasing hip extension and your knees are not working properly, eventually like you're going to have gait issues and it's going to alter the way that you're moving. So going back to our last episode about functional training versus isolation, I think bikini competitors have a very uh, good opportunity because you only have to build two muscle groups to be like, you know, very large. So the rest of your time can be put into moving properly. Mm. Um, now what, what we started doing was... Um, incorporating things like the leg press but with a focus on on knee extension and flexion okay um instead of just going through the movement and thinking about moving the sled because now you're already ingrained your glutes are super fired up and we're doing this towards the end of your exercise or your workout um your glutes are hyperactivated. you're going to try to use your glutes for this which we do want you to use your glutes but then your quads feel like they don't have to work which is not true and then you know you're going to have your glutes and your hamstrings trying to pull your knees into extension, which is not how your knee is supposed to work. So now you have these shear forces being applied to your knees that aren't supposed to be there. So um, what I did with a couple people is I told them to focus on like, just only think about your knee when you're doing this leg press. Yeah, we want you to root. Yeah, we want your glutes engaged, but we already know that your glutes are activated at this point in the workout. So all I want you to think about is your knees and extending your knees with your quads. And they came back with great feedback on that, that it really helped. Um, and I also told that that 
one client who's having issues, I said, let's bring the incline down for now. And, you know, uh, let's focus on fixing this issue. I gave her some TKEs, which stands for terminal knee extensions. Um, for anyone out there listening, those are great. If you're having knee pain, it's a great warm up. Uh, you can also walk backwards on a treadmill, but she was already doing that. So, and she said it did help, but I was just trying to give her a few other things to, to kind yeah. of help that along. Yeah. Um, so yeah, knee, knee pain is, it can be multifactorial. I'm not going to sit here and say, this is how you fix your knee pain when you're working out. Again, you have to look up and downstream of knee pain very often, unless you have a pre-existing injury, like, uh, we have a client, Ethan, who he had ACL surgery, right? Mm-hmm. So like when he tells me he has knee pain, we pull back. I, yeah. I don't say, oh, let's look at your ankles. Let's look at your hips. Where that's probably also an issue that we're going to have to deal with because when your body sustains an injury, you start to compensate to avoid that injured uh, body part. So that ankle is likely tight. It probably has an impingement in there. Uh, that hip is likely tight because things try to tighten up to protect that injured joint. Um, but he's still going to like rehab and stuff. So, I, you know, we, we stay in our lane. You let the rehab therapist do their, do their thing. Uh, I tell them to tell us what they're doing. And then we kind of take that and run with it, see what we can do, see what we can build on it. Um, but yeah, if it, in general, like if I were to offer, offer general advice to anyone out there experiencing knee pain, I would say look at your ankle mobility from side to side. Um, there are plenty of YouTube tests out there that, you know, squat university has a really good one. Um, but I'm going to assume that the knee that's bothering you, that ankle is less mobile than the other side. And then you can look at, um, hip internal external rotation as well. So you, you know, you sit on a bench basically, and you try to keep your femur stationary while you, you know, swing your foot out and then in and see how much external rotation you have and internal rotation you have. And I think I said that backwards. I think when you swing your foot out, that's internal rotation. Your femur is turning internally. And then when you swing your foot back up, that's external rotation. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, check those things. Um, I'm going to assume that you have an issue there. And what the other thing that you're going to feel when you're testing that internal external rotation in your hip is you're going to feel your core musculature bracing differently. Um, that's just one more eye-opening moment. Um, I've had to really kind of alter how I brace myself when I'm doing leg press to get even activation through down through my hips and even um, stabilization into the top of my hips, into the top of my pelvis for my core musculature so that my legs have an even pressing ground to work off of. Okay, let's talk about core. Yeah, core. What is the difference between ab training for powerlifters versus core training for bodybuilders? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, since like... Cross- You're not getting a break. You're just going to keep talking this That's whole okay. Time. Yeah, tell me. <laughs> um, what's funny about this is that since doing a bodybuilding show and practicing like training my transverse abdominis to like get a tighter midsection. I feel like it's improving my bracing pattern for um, powerlifting. Power yeah. Now, having said that, let me just eliminate that from my brain and, and assume that I, I haven't, I haven't come to that conclusion yet. Sure. Generally speaking, the way powerlifters are taught to brace is you, yes, activate your transverse abdominis, but basically really what people tell you to do is brace. So you squeeze your abs you breathe in behind it, so you, you use your diaphragm to pull your lungs down into your abdomen, right? Behind that abdominal wall, 
which is creating intra-abdominal pressure. And then you brace your abs again on top of that. How, how is that anatomically possible? <laughs> <laughs> it's possible, I promise. <laughs> Put your lungs in your abdomen. <laughs> well, you're, it's really your diaphragm. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm here, just but, I'm a giggly mood today. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, the bracing. So <clears throat> it's tough. I what I tell people is don't let your chest rise. Don't let your shoulders rise at all when you're breathing in. Uh, the other cue I use is breathe into your low back. I've told people to practice while they're driving a car. Think about breathing into your low back into that car seat because um, it gives you that tactile feedback that okay, yes, I'm getting the right thing right there. Um, that's alligator breathing is breathing into your low back basically you know you can also do it just lying down you put a five pound plate on your low back and you try to make the plate rise mm. basically um so that's like the gist of powerlifter bracing and the per and that's i mean having a strong or a solid core makes lifting intra-abdominal pressure adds to the solidarity of your core and it makes it much more solid and stable it makes it more efficient yeah so and that's why people wear belts is because it basically acts as your transverse abdominus which a solid piece of leather is going to be much 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 more stable than your ab muscles right almost no matter how strong they are sure uh now if you're kk um he's a big power lifter that passed away a couple of years ago but he never wore a belt he's famous for after one meet, he like took a single down and like smacked his belly. He's like, this is my belt. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like you can develop super, super strong abdominals. Uh, obviously, they're going to get bigger when that happens. Now, like we talked about in the last episode, you can produce strength adaptations without having a lot of hypertrophic ad adaptations. Um, for some reason, it doesn't necessarily seem to translate with your core. I like at a certain point, your core has to be a little bigger and sure. a little thicker to sustain that kind of weight. What? So is there, before you get into that, is there a time to wear a belt as a powerlifter and a time not to wear a belt as a powerlifter? Yeah, I think I think beltless training is very important. Mm -hmm. um, I would even suggest to do full blocks beltless. Wow. Um like, I don't think there's a reason to wear your belt when you're doing front squats. You should be okay. feeling like the point of doing front squats is quad activation and core activation. Hmm. And now there's a study that just came out that said front squats and back squats build your vastus lateralis the same amount. Yes, I sent that to you. Yeah, you Brad sent Schoenfeld. It yeah. But what they said was that the front squats use 25% less load. So do they really hmm. build it the same or are front squats more advantageous to building your quads? Sure. Because you you don't need as much weight. You don't have to load as much. Right. So anyway, that's kind of neither here nor there. But um, The belt. Yeah, yeah. Back to belt usage. So I think that wearing the belt too much makes your TA lazy. And it gives you a blown out midsection. Sure. Okay. Sure. Um, yeah, since, since not wearing my belt all the time, like in every lifting session... Um, I feel like my midsection has gotten tighter, but excuse me. Another thing I felt like is my posture has gotten more upright. Mm -hmm. My, my TA is becoming more activated on a daily basis, like throughout the entire day. Everyone should be adjusting their posture right yeah. now. Yeah. Suck it in, get tall, tall and tight, <laughs> tall and tight, like a rope. Yes. <laughs> um, and I feel like it makes my core more stable and more solid. Sure. So, 
Now, if we move over to bodybuilding training, obviously you don't really want intra-abdominal pressure is not as important. Sure. You're not trying to hit a one rep max. Right. So having to get yourself into this fully stabilized position right out the gate is not necessarily as important. You can kind of build up to it. Now, that's not saying bodybuilders don't lift heavy because right. that's something that we coach, right? right. We, we want our lifters to lift heavy. So I would, for me personally, when I, even when I was just doing powerlifting training before I did any bodybuilding, what I would do is I would work up um, during my warmups. I would have a warmup mobility exercise that I paired with my warmup compound lifts. Mm-hmm. And I would work up and wait. And let's just say I'm doing squats. Okay, so I'll start with 135. That's just raw. Do my squats. I might send a deep squat afterwards. I'll do 225, do some squats, focusing on my positioning. Um, if I felt something was off, I might do some glute activation. Uh, I might do some hip mobility stuff, maybe some hip cars. Go back. I do my 315 set. I right, come back out. Maybe I want some external rotation. So I'll do some of my ballet warm up. Now, get into the 400s. I might put my sleeves on, my knee sleeves on. But for me, this the like assistance gear is almost more of a mental thing than mm. anything else. Um, I've done entire workouts without any assistance gear at all. I mean, like these days I don't, I don't even bring my gym bag into the gym most of the time, unless I'm planning on, you know, using something in there obviously. But sure. um, I think it's very important to have unassisted lifts because it teaches your body how to work properly and and heavy too, right? Like I'll go into the 400s and it won't be until I have 495 on there or more at least that I put a belt on because I want my body to know how to brace and how to stabilize without that belt. Um, Because then when you put that belt on, it is an assistance, it's not a crutch. Whereas if you just, if you have that belt on all the time perpetually for every single lift, anytime that you go heavy, you have that belt on, it's going to turn into a crutch and we don't want that. So especially if you're a bodybuilding athlete, um, I'm not a fan of wearing your bodybuilding belt for every all session, every session. Um, I'm sure there are people out there who think that it makes their waist smaller. I'm just not really a fan. I would rather train your transverse abdominis to hold everything in super tight and have you standing up nice and tall through your entire workout uh, instead of relying on that belt to put you in that posture because then what's going to happen when you're on stage, right? Like you can't wear that belt on stage. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that's one thing that I would say like anecdotally I could speak on is I used to wear a belt for every, my instructions were every exercise, every lift you are putting this belt on. So anytime I was in the gym touching a weight, I had to have uh, a lifting belt on. And so I went through all these preps doing that. Um, I did feel like it inhibited some of my muscle growth because it inhibited move certain movement patterns, like a hip thrust, for example. I was hip thrusting with a weight belt on and I felt like because of its position on my torso, it was actually creating more of an anterior pelvic tilt. I was not able to engage my glutes the same way. Once I started training without a belt, it was a work in progress because I had to retrain my body. First of all, I felt really weak working out without a belt on. I was like, man, I can't do anything. But I had to kind of like retrain those patterns, like those exercises and like the right cueing and the right body positioning. And I had to get my core to wake up and participate in the exercises. Um, But my waist 
after a year, like year or two, I don't know, maybe two years of not wearing a lifting belt in the gym, uh, still stayed small on stage because I was curious. I was like, man, am I, I'd rather like be strong and be able to stand up in my poses with confidence and poise and posture because I have a core that's keeping me upright versus like just trying to lift through my shoulders or my, mm-hmm. um, but I was like, will my waist look a little bit wider will it be bigger and it was still small i don't know i think it was relatively the same size whether i had gone through a prep wearing my belt it was a half an inch bigger okay with this look versus your tahoe look yeah which of you if you look at tahoe and you compare it to the stage shots from your competition last year it's completely different completely 100 percent different and it's because of how you're carrying yourself and how you're able to position your body because you have the core musculature in there that you're being intentional we're not we're not balancing right we're we're not balancing we're standing tall and we're being intentional with our positioning i did feel very confident walking on stage because i felt that i could carry myself um when i competed last year um, yeah. with those adjustments in my training and how i looked at my core activation um so i barely train with a belt anymore I, it's been a really long time since I've trained with a belt. I just started wearing it recently um, for heavier compound lifts. So if I'm going for, like we talked about in the last episode, like a three to six rep max, or I'm getting into like heavy territory, um, I will put that on for like a deadlift yeah. or yeah. A, when you did your you did two twenty five for a set of five the other day, you had your belt on, right? Actually, yeah. I don't. No, I did. I did. did? I did. Okay. Yeah. I had 225 on. Yeah. Or I had my belt on for 225 yeah. on my sumo deadlifts. But I'll never wear a belt hip thrusting ever again. I just, it defeats the purpose for me. Uh, I'd rather have bigger glutes because I'm training properly and my waist a little bit thicker, which when you visually look at it proportionally on stage, it's going to make your waist look smaller anyways yes. if you have huge ass yeah. glutes. Yeah. Um, so I'd rather look like that than... Try being keep trying to shrink parts of my body. Um, I'd rather build other aspects of my body if that makes sense. So out of yeah. outside of the functionality aspect of like being able to walk around, my cardio was easier because my core was stronger, my posing was better, and I just feel like it allows me to add muscle. But I know that's a big question about like for bodybuilders because historically, you know, you see Ronnie Coleman and stuff wearing these belts that are like crazy tight they're trying to keep a small yeah, waist don't do that guys please <laughs> but like how how does that translate because you will see competitors do a, a variation of things while you're looking on social media they're all doing everyone's got their opinion right so that's okay. and what might work for some person might not yeah. work for another but you have to like try the things out you have to try with it or without it you and and think about like what's actually happening be cognizant don't just say this is making my waist small so i'm just going to keep doing it like is it really yeah or Or, i want to look like isa so i'm going to wear a waist trainer Oh, no one's going to look like isa and that's the point is you're never going to change your pelvis width or your rib cage size Mm -hmm. you're not going to be able to change those two things you're never going to so i just i'm a big fan of of intentional positioning rather than rolling the dice and hoping for the best you know what i mean sure So yeah, so like for competitors, I think it's, and I don't squat heavy because I don't have, I'm not there yet in my training. I have too many imbalances from right to left to squat effectively at a heavy weight. 
So I do all my squat work with no belt because of that reason. I'm trying to get my left side to work and wake up. And then once I have that and I can start going heavier, then I'll probably incorporate a belt. But I'm there with deadlifts right now. And then, yeah, like I said, won't do it for hip thrust. But um, training my transverse was very different too because I had never done that before. The trend of ab vacuuming started happening at some point when I was with my last coach and um, then everybody started like just sucking their abdomen in and it didn't make sense to me because when you are using your diaphragm to create a hollow body, first of all, that looks really ugly for bikini. No one is, you don't look like you shouldn't yeah, be doing that on stage. That. Um, and pros actually get dinged for doing too much of a hollow body um, like ab vacuum type of thing. So even at that level, that's like, they're not awarding that. Ab vacuums are for like classic physique. They're right. Is that the only category? You can do, do it in a bodybuilding. Like that's, that's a, first of all, very challenging. So anybody that can do it, that, that is impressive. Um, but that diaphragmatic, like hollow body ab vacuum is not something that I felt I should be practicing because it didn't translate into, it didn't make sense. So if it doesn't make sense, generally speaking, I won't do it. <laughs> um, but when you started incorporating dead bugs, which is an exercise where you lay on your back, your arms are straight out in front of you, in front of your shoulders, your knees are at a 90 degree angle, um, and you focus on pushing your belly button to the floor and keeping your back flat. Um, so you do have to think about a, a little bit of interior pelvic tilt. Posterior. Posterior, posterior, correct. And you, w once you're able to control that with your core, which sounds really dumb, but it's actually very challenging if you're doing it correctly. And then you can start working on extending a leg or in a, like opposite arm and leg. Because as those appendages move away from the midline of your body, it puts more stress on your core. Yeah, there's more leverage. The the weight's the same. The weight's the same, but it changes the leverage. Yeah. So, so for my la for, for my competition season last year, prior to that, when I started working with you, we started training core very differently. It wasn't a bunch of crunches and like reverse crunches. I did some of those things, but it was a lot more of being able to control my midsection. Mm -hmm. And I think for the first time my like like I was just saying earlier my posing felt strong because I had done these exercises in the gym that like translated over into making my core yeah tight and you have the muscles that are supposed to twist your torso you like you're not trying to rely on your extensors to do rotational work you know yeah that's hard too yeah because a lot of like if you've atrophied all your core musculature away in an attempt to have a small waist first of all you're probably going to look skinny fat Right. You're probably not like you're definitely not going to have etched abs, which even for the bikini division, they want to see your abs. And it used to just be the oblique lines. Like when right. I remember your first competition that I went to, that's what I pointed out. I said they all have obliques. Yes. And that's when, when we first started looking at that it's because we rethought. Ab, mm -hmm. Well, I started rethinking ab training. If, we, if pros have obliques, why do I not have? Exactly. Yeah. And, well, it, and I don't think it makes your waist look any bigger. If you know how to use them and position them. And pose. Yes. You have to know how to pose. Mm -hmm. Which, and like you said, all of our core training is 
specifically geared towards positioning. Like even the crunches that I have our athletes do, it's all, it's generally speaking, um, I apply crunches to people who have either had low back issues or I can see that they don't have full control over their core muscles. Um, and we want to institute or instill or, uh, help your body feel like it's okay to go into some lumbar flexion. Cause what happens is your low back extensors, they start to, they get super, super tight to try mm -hmm. to protect you from that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's all with an eye towards positioning while you're on that stage. And if you have abs on stage, that makes you look more conditioned. Yeah. That is yeah. something that I, Hundred percent. Recently learned, mm -hmm. like, no, you do not want. You don't need to have like a huge six eight pack. You don't have to be like very. You don't have very. You don't have to have big rectus abdominis muscles, but you do have to have muscular. There, yes. And if they can see lines and etching, automatically it makes you look tighter. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. That's just like a really weird freaky thing that i've recently learned that it just that that illusion yeah does take place which and that's a uh well maybe not that i want to just touch on how an ab vacuum a diaphragmatic ab vacuum is different than training your transverse abdominis and I, you were saying this earlier yeah um tell us the way i cue ta training is tall and tight you know like think about pulling a rope tight you're not pulling it in um, you're trying to elongate your torso and you're trying to feel it get tighter and like pull I think the term nowadays you're using is snatched, a snatched waist, I guess. <laughs> yeah, babe, that was yeah. good. Good job. <laughs> Such a <old> man. <laughs> um, that's okay. Uh, but yeah, that your transverse abdominus is what does that. So when you're working out, no matter what exercise you're doing, if you think about pulling, I think about pulling my sternum down, that's going to activate your rectus abdominis. And then I also think about like kind of pulling my lower lats backwards. So almost pushing your lumbar spine backwards. Um, and now anyone watching right now, I probably look like hunched over. That's because that's not the end of the cueing. I do that. And then I use my thoracic extensors to come back straight. Um, and doing this is hard to do, by the is, way, it's very hard. But basically what you're doing is you're, you're, tensioning your body from front to back, right? So your rectus abdominis is going to tension at the front and then you use your extensors to tension it against the back so that now your torso is fully braced and tensioned. Um, and now in that position, you think about getting super, super tall through your midsection. Now your transverse abdominis and all of your other core musculature, so your obliques, your rectus, your lower lats, your extensors, all of that is going to be super activated and you're going to be super, super stable. So now going back to what I first talked about with the bracing with powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, that I believe is the key towards having a super, super strong and stable torso while having it not be blown out like strongman competitors like, you sure. know, Eddie Hall. Like yeah. Eddie Hall has a six pack perpetually. It doesn't matter yes. how fat he is because yes. his rectus abdominis are just so freaking big. Yeah. Um, but he's never going to win a bodybuilding show. Never. It doesn't matter how big his lats are. It doesn't matter because his waist is so big and so blown out at this point. So, but he can deadlift 500 kilos, you know, so. To each their own. Yeah, exactly. So. But yeah, you should Google transverse abdominis and look at what the actual anatomy of the muscle looks like. So that you can understand, I think that's half the battle is understanding where these muscles attach mm -hmm. and what they look like to be able to start 
being able to activate them properly. Yeah, which your TA is basically just like a wall of muscle that encompasses your torso. It's an internal corset. Yes, exactly. Yep. So being able to activate that. I've watched him pull his internal corset <laughs> in on the sides. Yeah. Like like the like activate the whole thing to make the whole like not just like tight, you know, people can pull their the front of their waist in, but the sides of your waist yes. in. So, and in all fairness, that is, that's come, that comes from powerlifting training because one thing that you practice is you take your thumbs and you push them into your obliques and then you push them out. Oh. And then and once you have the control to be able to push them out like that to brace, why can't you have the control, that same control, that muscle to pull it pull in? Pull it in. Yeah. So, but it takes getting super tall, like trying to elongate your spine and then trying to pull everything in. Just try and be taller. Think about being taller yeah. everywhere you go. Yeah. If you walk around, try to be taller and it, like doing your, your dead hangs, you push your tailbone away from you and activate your abdominal muscles. Like you're going to be doing, doing oh, good those stuff. dead hangs. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, I think we talked a lot about the core training. Yeah. Ramble, ramble, ramble. Ooh. Okay. We're doing good. Um, Let's talk about low back pain and hip thrusts. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> Curveball. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's along the similar similar line uh, of questioning is where we've been recently. Um, so we have a few clients who have said, man, when I do hip thrusts, my low back hurts. Um, let me just talk about the general, that general, and then we can talk about specific instances like, you know, monthly issues. And, uh, we'll talk about my issues. Sure. <laughs> I'll be honest with the listeners. Um, so most recently, uh, one of our clients, my brother, Marcus, hit us up and he said, man, I'm, I'm getting some low back pain in my glutes. I mean, when I'm doing hip thrusts. Mm. Um, what that comes from is is weak glutes and trying to do too much weight on the hip thrust, right? Because you're not able to keep your abdominal muscles activated to pull your pelvis into that posterior hip tilt to have your glutes be the primary movers. So now you have your low back extensors trying to support all of that weight right? because your core and your glutes are not working as much as they should. So now your body's like kind of bypassing those two weaker muscle groups and it's using your quads, hamstrings, and your low back muscles, your hip flexors. Like it's using all of these muscles to try to lift this weight instead of pushing that weight up through your glutes. So the... Easy fix, obviously, for this is just to drop the weight and do better with positioning. Uh, but record yourself. Look. See what's happening and verify that, oh, shit, like that's exactly what's happening. That's why I'm getting low back pain. And then, oh, okay, when I drop the weight down to 135, I don't have any back pain, you know? And, okay, stay there and make sure that you can maintain your abdominal and glute activation throughout the entire set and then move up. Um, and if, you know, if you move up incrementally and, and jump small enough and it doesn't all have to be in one day. Start with something sub-maximal and increase five or 10 pounds a week. That's all it takes because eventually, eventually you're going to add 500 pounds onto your hip thrust by adding five or 10 pounds a week, right? Like that makes sense. Just logically speaking, it, it will eventually happen. Yeah. I think if you're experiencing pain, it's uh, an issue of, like you said, not activating the correct muscles yeah. to move in that exercise. So if you want your low back to work a lot in a hip thrust, keep going. Yeah, but, but if you're not wanting that, then don't waste your time. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Take a pull back a little to re 
position or, yes. or, or look at your form. And, and our goal in doing that and, t- and talking so much about technique and moving properly is to increase your return on your investment. So if your gym time is your deposit into your bank, like we want to make sure that you're getting as much interest as possible. Um, so without putting as much mileage on your body as you, as is, is, let me see, let me, improper movement patterns, put more mileage on your kinetic system than proper movement patterns. There you go. Right. Yeah. So we want to make sure that you're putting as little stress into your kinetic system as is needed to produce as much return as possible. So that's what we're aiming for. That's a good point about being efficient. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's, there's, it's so, it's not just about being a perfectionist. It's about, I want this body to last. I want to be able to work out. I want to be that guy deadlifting 405 at 94 years old. Like that's, that's yeah. what I want to be, you yeah. know? And there's no way that I'm going to be able to do that if I'm not paying attention to how my body is moving now in this stage of my sure. life. Sure. I will say that I will feel like my low back gets um, stiff from hip thrusting so frequently because it's my favorite exercise in the whole entire world. Um, but I don't feel pain. Like, I think there's a different feeling where it's just kind of like, okay, well, this had to support me through some heavy work. So it's going to be fatigued or it's going to be a little bit stiff. But if I'm doing my my recovery and mobility work, then it, 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 it evens out. Um, whereas if you're feeling I think there's there has been a time where I was feeling a lot of pain actually in my hip thrusting, but it was poor positioning, which yeah. like I we circled back around. I think some of it was the um, the belt and also just like not knowing how to perform the exercise properly. And Smith machines sometimes put my body in an awkward position to hip thrust, depending on how they're designed, and sometimes that creates a different feeling after i've hip thrusted and so i just kind of like pick and choose what what i'm gonna do that day based on what equipment i have access to um so yeah and then also yes um women get menstrual cycles and sometimes i i'm like man my low back is so sore i must be doing something wrong in the gym and nine nine times out of ten it's just because i'm having like pain from menstrual cycle so i'm having low back pain and abdomen pain and the the, there that's a different pain yeah knowing when to produce an intervention is very important as well good point yeah because like that like we don't have to do anything for that right yeah you maybe what we might do is like lighten the load a little bit sure well that's another thing we can higher rep prs but right so let's talk about that because lyle mcdonald talks about like women are a little bit more pliable in their joints prior to a menstrual cycle. Cause if you think about it in nature, um, like you're preparing to carry a child and in those like phases, which is kind of similar to like trial, it's not the same as childbirth, but there are periods where you are, your joints are stiffer and they're a little bit more pliable. And towards the end of your menstrual cycle, there will be some flex so we sometimes have to modify my training to support that because certain joints with me are already pretty pliable, um, like my shoulders. But I also have um, SI my NSI joint injury that happened for my prep in 2020. Um, 
that yeah i just wasn't we won't talk about that but um having an injury that is not super strong if i'm approaching that time of the month then it, it, it can be more mm-hmm. apt to being stressed and so i might start feeling okay that this part of my body is like letting me know that it's unhappy and so modifications we make are setting different goals so i might not go as heavy because that's going to put more stress on that joint um we'll talk or we'll utilize more of like a higher rep count um do you want to talk more on that like did, did i do it i don't think so yeah i think you did a great job um i think like just to sum it up i it, your low back pain and your hip thrusts uh if it's perpetual something to look at if it's right. you know at the same time every single month if you're a female and same time every single month like it's good to be aware of that and then you can just alter your training and even if your program says hit a three rep max today if your back's not feeling it like you gotta listen to your body and just hit a new 20 rep pr right just add five more pounds on from what you've done in the past and go for 20 reps because i think it's person dependent mm-hmm. some people feel like there's a couple days prior to my menstrual cycle where i feel pretty strong mm-hmm um, and then there's a couple days after that where I feel like garbage yeah. and you just kind of have to like know your body. If you're a woman, like track your period. It's so helpful to kind of know what is happening when it comes to like hunger, hunger and sleep. And yeah. like if you're a, in, if you're a bodybuilder you're pay, or an athlete, you're paying attention to all the little details that are play, like factoring into your athletic goals. So like tracking it just to be aware there's been times where I'm like, man, why am I like so hungry? And then I'm like, oh, okay, I'm ovulating. Uh, or um, why is my sleep crappy? Or why does my body feel so sore and I'm not recovering as well? And it's because my menstrual cycle is coming up. So it's just important data you can use. And then like talk with your coach if you're like, because I there's times where I go to the gym, I'm like, I just cannot do heavy today because I have you know well and sometimes it's just how you feel too because the other day you said yeah, that to that's me that's true you said that to me and then you went up to like four or five hundred pounds or whatever you weren't supposed to like, be watching i was like okay i was trying <laughs> I was to hide looking over and i smiled myself yes you gotta do it yep <laughs> yeah i'm not strong today but i'll hip thrust 500 pounds <laughs> well so, so yeah you have to like feel it out but um when you get into it like sometimes things change and a lot of times it's your brain it is a lot of my brain i I often tell people your emotions lie to you your brain will lie to you all the time it's geared towards survival so it's trying to protect you from Mm -hmm. things and you have to tell it that it doesn't know what it's talking about basically well you have to know what the like when to to toggle those yeah which is because yeah sometimes those you have to listen to your body in some aspects, but there are other times where it's just being lazy. I'm just not, I just don't want to do this because I'm cranky. Yes. Uh, yep. Which with that was happening to me at the gym. I was just miserable, mm-hmm. but I'm a human being yeah. happens. Yeah, exactly. It does. I just, when you feel, I just wasn't feeling good and I was like, mm. rah, rah, rah. Mm-hmm. but then I ended up having great hip thrust day and um, yeah, you were very encouraging. So. Yeah, so you can still, I don't think that you need to just do yoga when you're coming up to your menstrual cycle. I still think that you can strength train because people ask that as well. Like, should I still be strength training? We actually don't know. I I feel like that might be counterintuitive too. If your body's getting more flexible, like I think the higher rep PRs are still a good idea because it kind of brings everything back together and makes Mm -hmm. it more cohesive. Whereas the the yoga things, like perpetually lengthening these muscles may not always be a good thing you have to be careful yeah Yeah. exactly there's there's definitely a line you know you 
And going back to your SI injury, once you injure a tendon, ligament, muscle, you're 70% more likely to re-injure that mm -hmm. muscle than you were before. So um, and your SI joint already isn't supposed to have a ton of movement. So doing yeah. stretching and stuff and trying to relax in these stretched pos positions like the pigeon pose could be counterintuitive. It could actually hurt it more. Whereas doing strengthening exercises, like if you look up SI rehab, it, it's not stretching. It's contracting. It's, it's activating. So like knowing when to instill these different modalities is very important in your training. So, yeah, you know, ask your coach. If you don't have a coach, feel free to reach out and ask us. We're here. Yeah, that's great. All right. Well, we're another hour in. Um, We've answered two questions. No, no I think it's more like four. <laughs> I think we answered, okay. yeah, four, which I think that's what we did last time. Uh, so we may, I don't know, I'll have to look at the rest of these questions. We may tackle them uh, for a part three. Yeah, yeah, we'll do part three. We'll do February. Well, let's talk about the questions to see if we have enough before okay. we, we promise our audience. And, our and everyone audience. out there, if you have questions feel free to send them to us. We may just answer there you. you. Go. Yeah. Or we may put them on the podcast. We may do a YouTube short. We may do a loom review. Yeah, guys, if you have questions, I mean, we would, this is like two months of questions that we've been getting from people. But yeah, if you have stuff that you want specifically answered, please send it to us. The best way to send it is probably through Instagram. I would think. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so our in contact us form on our website. Oh, yeah, no. Uh, so rec our Instagram to send questions is reckless underscore training. Uh, specifically for TC, you can send at Longshot Gamble. And then I'm at Chris Nicole underscore IFBB bro. bro. <laughs> IFBB bro. <laughs> or you just go to reckless training and look for both of our <laughs> handles in the bio. But um, also wanted to thank people for liking and subscribing and writing positive reviews. Um, we always forget to ask about that. So if you are enjoying the podcast or you like our content, um, that would be, that's the best way to say thank you to us besides like posting us and tagging us. We do love that as well. It's good to know that our time is being well received and people are getting something from the content. But yeah, if you could like or subscribe, that helps other people find us as well. Um, and if you feel like writing a nice comment, It'll probably make me cry, but that's, that's fine. Yeah, make Chris cry. Everyone <laughs> everyone, try to make Chris cry this I week. always get so emotional. I love our people. Um, so uh, if you're interested in coaching, you can go to recklesstraining.com, uh, look at our prices, or you can just contact us on Instagram like we talked about. Um, we do contest prep coaching for bodybuilding, powerlifting, you know, if you just want to lose weight, feel better, you want to move better, learn about nutrition. Yeah. yeah you want to just bring up the quality of your life. We're invested in that too. You don't need to have specific athletic goals. We're here for whatever it is. Um, and we do have events coming up as well too. So you can check out the events page at reckless training to, um, register for the American challenge strict girl in Miami. And then the first, uh, strong lifting, event in Miami uh, on June 1st as well with Brett Contreras. So, and TC. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be an event and a half guys. It's going to be fun. LED walls. We're going to have six inch metals. It's, yeah. I'm trying to design these metals right now. It's going to be fun. 
Um, but I think that that's it. So yeah, send your questions. Thanks for listening. Anything else you wanted to add? Did I miss anything? No, you did great. Okay. So take us, take us out. Just remember, work hard, train reckless. Wait a minute, I missed <laughs> no, that. No, start over. <laughs> <laughs> work hard, stay humble, and train reckless. <laughs>